Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, and Swan is organizing Pacific Bitcoin. This is going to be the biggest Bitcoin-only conference ever. It's going to be November 10th and 11th in 2022. It'll be in LA, California. I'll be there, and I'm looking forward to it. You can hang out with thousands of Bitcoiners from around the globe, catch your favorite Bitcoin educators and personalities on the main stage, ask questions on the Q&A, and hang out with people at the conference and at the events throughout the week. This one is going to be optimized for fun. There'll be all kinds of sports, games, music, photo opportunities, and high fives and don't forget this is just going to be one event of la bitcoin week so make sure you plan the schedule and get there early so that you can be there for the events come and join us at the inaugural pacific bitcoin conference in la on november 10th and 11th the website is pacbitcoin.com are you interested in bitcoin mining brains.com can help you brains have brains os plus this is firmware that you can install on your bitcoin mining machine so go to the website and check out if your model is supported they are adding new models all the time and brains os plus is really good because you can improve your efficiency this may allow you to get more hash rate and more sats for your dollar in terms of electricity spent you can improve your efficiency by as much as 25 percent so don't leave those sats on the table go and check it out now you can use this to mine on any pool but if you use brains os plus and then you point your hash rate towards slush pool you actually get zero percent pool fees so brains.com is the website and don't forget they've also got their insights dashboard with all kinds of statistics that you can use to keep up to date on the world of bitcoin mining if you are in the market for self-custody of Bitcoin, check out the cold card. This is available over at coinkite.com. It's my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet or signing device. Now, obviously, we're going through this time where we're seeing a lot of these third-party custodians, exchanges, lending platforms going down or stopping withdrawals. So learn to self-custody with your hardware signing device, the cold card. Now, you can use this easily with wallets like Spectre Desktop, Sparrow, or Electrum, or others. With the cold card, you can use it in single signature, and when you're ready to upgrade, you can use all kinds of additional features like passphrases, BIP85 to have child seeds, you can use Seed XOR, or you can use it as part of a multi-signature setup. There's all kinds of things that you can learn to do, and there's always more that you can do to increase your security over time. So go to coinkite.com and get your cold card there. So joining me today is Ben Carmen. He is a Bitcoin core contributor. He's also working at the Bitcoin company and he's a well-known pleb in the space for those of you who don't know him. He is joining me to talk about Bitcoin privacy, some of the implications in the industry today in terms of KYC, in terms of surveillance, and also what can be done about it in terms of advocating or building additional privacy technology. And we talk about ideas around what's coming into Bitcoin and Lightning that will help make some of these aspects a little bit easier. And we also talk a bit about the Austin Bitcoin scene as well as his work in being a co-organizer of Austin BitDevs. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, Long-time friends, but now I get to finally come on your pod, so I'm happy to be here. Yeah, of course. Love the work you're doing, and I know you're doing a range of things. Bitcoin Core contribution, you're an organizer of Austin BitDevs, one of the organizers, and yeah, working on a bunch of things. So let's get into some of this stuff. So uh, yeah, maybe let's just get your view just broadly uh, on what's going on in the space and what you're following. What's what's exciting to you in terms of Bitcoin and Bitcoin development? Yeah, uh, Bitcoin has been like kind of a little weird since Tap reactivated. We're like now there's no like next thing like uh, CTV kind of had its time in the light, but then, you know, not so much anymore. And uh, so like what I've kind of been focused on recently is just like lightning privacy stuff. Um, and like my open source life, like full time, I'm the Bitcoin company. But um, when I'm not selling gift cards, I try to do some Bitcoin stuff. So, uh, yeah, like um, me and some like friends like Tony Giorgio and uh, Paul Miller have been doing some like lightning research on uh, different privacy stuff and like kind of turned into a couple hackathon projects we did where um, I made something called Trans LND, which lets you like rotate lightning um, pub keys. And, um, you know, we're working on other various ideas of trying to like figure out like how to make Know, your best lighting note if you could gotcha and so the whole privacy aspect is a hot one right now there's a lot of discussion about fungibility censorship resistance what exactly is required so let's talk a little bit about the privacy aspects just generally as i think it's fair to say if you just use bitcoin by default without any techniques you're not necessarily being private 
And I think it's probably important for people to understand that, but also understand there's, it's not like there's zero hope either. So at least that's how I'm seeing it. Do you want to uh, give us your view? Uh, and actually, it would be really interesting for you to answer this question as well. Do you believe Bitcoin is fungible? I think Bitcoin's fungible. Like if you can find me some cheaper Bitcoin, I'd like to buy it. But uh, or if it's more expensive, I'd like to sell it. But <laughs> yeah, I think Bitcoin privacy is a it is a problem. Like you know, we're not. It's not completely confidential. You know, when you make an, a given address, people can see you know all the transactions that come from that address. And this is spurred uh, you know like chain analysis companies to exist, as well as privacy companies to to fight it, as well as like you know people just kind of use it for fun too. Where you you know you go to blockchain.info and see um, if your transaction is confirmed and stuff like that. Um, so it is a problem where, you know, you, like with different um, heuristics and stuff, you can kind of like weed out, like, you know, what's someone's wallet balance or, you know, if someone's um, doing certain things like multi-sig versus lightning versus just normal single sig. So there's problems there. Um, you know, there are, we have made lots of steps like since the dawn of Bitcoin to actually improve this with things like, like Taproot was um, the most recent upgrade to Bitcoin that really added a lot of um potential benefits that are you know yet to be implemented but we'll have that in the future and as well as like there's lots of other ideas and things that um aren't don't need like soft forks like taproot like things like coin join and coin swap that make it a lot better so it is always a uh ever going problem and kind of the hard part is like you kind of need to know what you're doing um at least today but as things get better it'll get probably easier i imagine Sure. And so the other aspect with Bitcoin privacy is, let's say, the elephant in the room is the KYC aspect, right? And I'm not saying this from a position of I'm coming from the moral high ground. Obviously, I work at Swan Bitcoin, you know, and many people in the space are either working in the industry and many of the companies in the space are having to do KYC on their customers. And then as part of that, they're often having to work with chain surveillance firms who in turn potentially getting access to some of that data and that can make it more difficult for a person to be private in bitcoin so uh what are your thoughts on that aspect the pervasiveness of chain surveillance and the, the kyc yeah i mean kyc is obviously a problem because it forces the user to you know like you have to upload pictures of you know my documents and even a selfie like saying i'd like to do whatever and you know it, it's for one it's terrible ux because you have to go through the whole process but for two it's a huge you know security vulnerability in honeypot where all the time things get hacked like i think maybe this week there's a news announcement that like a billion people got doxxed from like a china hack or something like it's not actually really stopping any of these like nefarious actors where most likely it's just you know you're someone's going to upload a document and then it's going to get hacked and now someone's going to steal your identity and it's I think something like one in four Americans have had their identity stolen. Like I know people in my family have had their identity stolen before. It's like, it's an actual problem that like, you know, now you have to like, you know, get lawyers and it's just a huge headache. You're going to lose lots of money potentially. So it's never good. And, um, you know, the touted reason of why they're doing it is, oh, to stop money laundering, to stop, you know, child pornographers, to stop, you know, drug traffickers, anything, you know, whatever the boogeyman is. And um, in reality, it doesn't really stop munching and munching at this, like, what they're actually going to do is going to go find a stolen identity on the dark market and buy that and then do whatever they want. Or, um, you know, there's KYC versions of how to, or KYC free versions of how we do most things as, as anyway. So they can just use something like that. So all this stuff will exist and it's kind of impossible to stop. So it's like, if we're going to not stop, like we're not stopping the bad stuff and just harming the good stuff, like the good users, like what are we even doing here? So I think that is a problem. And then um, the chain analysis part just kind of makes it worse where, you know, like chain analysis is done by like your own wallet probably does, does mild forms of chain analysis to try to give yourself privacy where it's checking like, you know, what are my transactions? How should I make the most um, efficient transaction? And, you know, what kind of change output should I use to make a, when I spend this and stuff like that. But, you know, the the chain analysis, like companies like Chainalysis, Elliptic, whatever, what they really like their secret sauce is they take, you know, they have their view of the blockchain like everyone else. But then they get all these data from like Coinbase and Kraken and maybe Swan, I don't know, like all these companies that are KYCing users and they pull them together. So they have this like huge holistic view of like, okay, like user A withdrew to this address on, on Coinbase and then to this address on, on Kraken. And now I can see, oh, okay, they are, uh, this is their wallet. And then, you know, they have a record of like this entire user's balance and they use, Lots of these heuristics that's um they claim to be anonymized, but it's really not because you're using it from KYC information. So it kind of creates this like just another honeypot of information. And um, 
we've seen this various um, problems with that where I mean, it wasn't exactly a KYC thing, but when the, the um, ledger got hacked and all the addresses of their users got doxxed, there's like lots of like people f- at first getting like emails and text messages like trying to hack their coins off their ledger um, to get them to like uh, install bad firmware or something or enter their um, seed phrase online. But you know, eventually, there, I think there was reports of people like actually getting like knocks on their front door because you know they got to ship to their house and stuff. So that's like you know actually threatening human lives, which is awful and um you know that's just just with a shipping address when we're doing actual like ids and you know birth certificates whatever you want like it gets so much worse and you can um, cause a lot of harm that way so it's like objectively it's a bad thing and um the people that are trying to enforce this you know there's just you know regulators out in dc or whatever that have no repercussions just like well that's bad so let's do something that just you know they think it makes it better but you know it doesn't Unfortunately, it seems that the answer is always do more regulation, do more KYC, do even more surveillance. And yet, the more surveillance they're doing on the world for all of this cost that they've imposed on banks, financial services, Bitcoin companies even, they haven't got a lot to show for it. And in fact, there is research on this. I interviewed Dr. Ron Paul, P-O-L, not Paul, and he has spoken about how ineffective the AML regulation is. Um, But I mean, anyway, I guess the point is, what should Bitcoiners be doing? Should Bitcoiners be anti-AML laws? Should they be advocating in other ways in the public system? Or is it more about building code, writing code? What are you thinking that Bitcoiners should do about it? I mean, you could you should do whatever you can. Like, you know, I'm a coder, so that's I'll probably like my kind of personal mission is kind of build software that helps you get away from this. But you know, 90% of the world doesn't know how to code, so you know you can go and do other things. Like, you know, you could like you know, I don't think you know how to end up code, Stefan, but you make a podcast where you bring up these issues and try to get people informed, or other people can go and like you know talk to their senator and try to get you know actual laws changed or um, create educational tools on all the various things, but um. Yeah, it's, it's a hard problem, but like, you know, there are tools to get around this. Like if you don't want to buy on a KYC exchange um, for, you know, obvious reasons just stated, there's lots of other ways. There's like things like RoboSats and BISC. That's just like an online P2P exchange that lets you do things. There's also just like the good old classic, like go to your local Bitcoin meetup and shake hands with someone. Um, you know, like at the at Austin BitDevs here, we have a huge meetup and, um, you know, people come here all the time. So there's Lots of times where people are like, hey, I'm trying to get some cash. Can anyone hook me up? And then, you know, you know, they shake hands later and send some Bitcoin. And, you know, that's perfectly fine to do and legal, um, you know, pay your taxes if you want. But, uh, you know, that it's a completely normal thing to do. And it's not like a total like you show up in a mask with like three guns and a knife and hopefully you don't get jumped. Like, you know, we're or downtown Austin, like, you know, you'll get caught if you try to, or we'll break your knees at the next uh, Bitcoin meetup. So <laughs> you should be fine. And, you know, there's kind of, there's ways to get around it. Like, um, I don't know, it's, it's not the most hardest thing in the world. I know like many people, their first introduction to Bitcoin wasn't on something like Coinbase. They like, their first introduction was on like BISC or something, which is, you know, it's supposed to be the advanced Bitcoiner thing, but, uh, you know, people are able to do it. So if you like guide people through that you want to help, or if you haven't done it yourself, you should really try because it's not that hard. Sure, yeah. And I, look, I don't have anything against non-KYC acquisition of coins. You know, I encourage people to do that also. For me, and what I'm thinking about here is also the scalability aspects of it. Like how many people can realistically do that? Like As an example, uh, I looked at the BISC volume over the last week. Just I think I looked up the stat yesterday. That number was about $125,000 worth of volume on BISC over a week. You know, so, so yeah, that's like nothing compared to coinbase or something so that's that's a problem so you know uh getting around that's the harder problem you know you can mine bitcoin that's a great solution where lots of people just you know they'll just buy a lot of uh, miners up front that doesn't require kyc i mean electricity doesn't require kyc as well so you just have a huge mining operation and mine some bitcoin you know it does require other uh skill sets but it is possible of course, yeah, and and to be clear, uh, I'm not trying to fud BISC or anything like that. I I think people should be you know willing to use it. And the other aspect of it is that volume number might be also down from maybe a few months ago when you know we weren't as deep into a bear like we are now. And also, some of that volume might be happening off those platforms, right? People might already meet one time and then only do the first trade on the platform and then out do other trades off the platform. So to be clear, that that volume number is not 
taken as gospel, right? It, it can change. And there are other platforms like RoboSats and Hoddle Hoddle and peer-to-peer stuff and in-person Bitcoin meetups and things like this. But I think in terms of where the industry is going, I think that's probably also an interesting question, right? Is it likely that every legal or you know above-board Bitcoin business gets forced and pushed down this pathway? I think that's probably the tougher question. And is there a way out of that? And I sure hope they don't. And like, luckily, like, uh, this is like a, a gradient. Like, you could have like, you know, something like like Bitcoin Core. That doesn't that doesn't talk to any outside service. It's just your own thing. That'll never have to do a KYC. But something like Coinbase, where they have custody of your funds, and you know, they give you tax records and all that stuff. That likely, you know, that, that has KYC on it because of regulations and because you know things like you know, if you died. Well, how, who do we give this money to? And you know, the KYC could let them figure that stuff out. It's like legal claims and stuff. But um, as a user, you should have a choice. So there are different services that let you do that. And um, you know, like for us at the Bitcoin company, like today, like we sell gift cards, you get stats back in your account. And um, so we're not like you know having to like sell you Bitcoin. There's no tax implications um, on, like, that we have to report for you or anything like that. So like we, we don't take anything. We just have like an email and that's fine because like um, what the only things we need to comply with with is like OFAC compliance, which is like, you know, there's like 14 addresses or something we're not allowed to send to, which um, most likely our user doesn't have uh, the private key to, so who cares? And um, and so like the, stuff like that's a lot easier to get around. Um, but, you know, as you add in things like buying Bitcoin with uh, fiat money, then it gets a lot harder because then you come under like the purview of these um, other you know, regulatory things and stuff. And like, um, and that's where it gets hard. So, I mean, legally today you need to take KYC, but the, the chain analysis part is always just like a hairy thing where like a lot of times it's not like they're not, they won't knock on your door and like shut down your company if you don't, but then like no liquidity provider will work with you if you don't have um, chain analysis or anything like that. So that gets weird, but um, a lot, like all these laws are, you know, it's just like the banks are, you know, these fiat institutions that, you know, just want to comply with everything because that's how they make their money with the regulatory moat. So they require all these things. And um, a lot of times this, they're this, just like they're doing the full like, you know, the, the law will say like do the the most reasonable thing or something. So they take that as, oh, we'll do all the chain analysis possible because that's completely reasonable to them. But, you know, as Bitcoiners, we obviously don't or hopefully don't believe that. I personally don't. So, you know, I think it's reasonable to do zero um, chain analysis. Like, so, you, you know, you, you have a debate with your lawyer and stuff and find what's comfortable. But um, reasonably, it makes sense, I think, like, you know, to, you know, if we're if we're doing this OFAC, like, you know, there's 13 people in the world we're not allowed to send Bitcoin to. I'll be fine with that. You know, like, I won't send money to Osama bin Laden, but, um, you know, I can, I'll send Bitcoin to everyone else. For sure. And so I think that's fine. And but like handling the rest of that is... Uh, you know, it's just like a gradient you have to do and based on like what, what you're trying to do as a business. Yeah, for sure. And so some of this, I think it came up, it flared up a little bit with some of the recent debates on Twitter as well, where you said you made that comment of saying, look, if we had to do it, then, you know, that's the point I'd be quitting. And I totally respect that, of course. Um, I think the question from my point of view as well is just how pervasive it is in the industry that even if you were to quit you know, even if you will quit one particular employer because they're doing chain surveillance and, okay, let's say that's their regulatory, you know, requirement and so on. Then the challenge is, even if you were to get funding, how many companies or firms in the space are offering, let's say, developer funding without any connection to, say, KYC and surveillance, you know, let's say the Geminis of the world or the others who are doing that. You know, it, it, it just is that pervasive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... On that comment too, like, you know, you, you can do like your own chain analysis without like having to like go use these like insidious companies like chain analysis, chain analysis and elliptic where like, you know, and those you're like just pulling all of your data with, you know, these other huge honeypots of data and just making it worse for like your personal users. But like, you know, if, if you're trusting yourself to take this KYC data, you should, you could, should be able to trust yourself and you can legally, I think, like do the chain analysis yourself, which, you know, can be whatever you dictate is reasonable. So um, I wouldn't like, you know, quit if we had to do our own personal reasonable chain analysis. Yeah, but in, in, in that regard as well, like what you're saying on like other companies, like, you know, say like they're like, you have to use elliptic and, um, you know, go. So I you know I quit and it's like, well, yeah, the, the uh, now, you know, every other company is doing it as well. So, you know, you're kind of shit out of luck. But um, I do like, you know, I like I like the, the case where, you know, 
like you know everyone and their mother is sponsored by spiral today where you have uh they're just giving out grants but there are a few people sponsored by things like coinbase and gemini and these other like uh, casino type companies and um those are actually my favorite grants because you know you're taking money from the m e and bringing it to bitcoin development so you know I, i'm happy to take money from the uh the bad people and bring it towards the light so i think that's okay but it is you know you do have that taint of uh you know, you're, you're getting the dirty money. But um, as I said in the beginning, I think Bitcoin's fungible, so that's okay. Yeah, of course, of course. And so on the topic of, okay, so I guess firstly, there's that point that you made, which is if we're thinking of the gradient here, the worst is to create the massive globalized honeypot of chain analysis and elliptic who, when if they can, again, we're speculating a little bit here, but presumably this is what they're doing, is they're able to pull the KYC data and the chain data of many customers across many exchanges. Whereas what you're saying is in a gradient sense, in a less bad sense, if you're doing your own personal risk analysis of coins, of customer coins, where they're coming from, where they're going and things like this, then that's less bad because at least you're not creating the honeypot aspect. Now, of course, the privacy purists would still object to that. They would say, no, hang on, you're still trying to surveil your customers. But you know, in, the, in this world where we're dealing with government and regulators and the only way that you can do things at scale at least in certain business models, is to have to comply with that. So obviously, I think it's a position of we don't like that, but at the same time, we also understand that the only way to really grow the pie meaningfully is to have to play inside that regulated pool, I guess. Is that kind of what, how you're seeing Yeah, it? yeah. Because I mean, like, sadly, I think like most people won't onboard Bitcoin in the like no KYC way. And I think that's just because you can provide a much better UX by doing that and like, you know, like, Coinbase has a beautiful app. Like, you know, I, I don't like them, but, you know, they did a good job. And, you know, like, Invisc is kind of hard to use. It is usable and you can do it if you want, but my mom's probably not going to want to do that. And um, so I think, like, you know, if you want to bring Bitcoin to the masses, we're, you know, some people are just going to capitulate. And, you know, do we want Coinbase running that and getting all those users or do we build it ourselves? So I think it'd be better if we have, like, real Bitcoiners to do it, like, you know, like you guys are doing at Swan. What, um, or like Cash App or River, what we're trying to do at the Bitcoin company, like same thing. So I'd like, you know, if we're going to, if people are going to go that route, let's give them, you know, the best tools possible and you know, inform them like, hey, we're we're taking this and we don't want to, but, you know, these are the risks. So I think that is um, important. And yeah, and scaling that up um, is good. And uh, so, yeah, and when you, when you, when you're doing this as well with this uh, in, internal chain analysis, like you get to make your own risk metrics as well then. So, you know, like um, I think like in the past, like, People like BlockFi and BottlePay were like blocking coin joins from coming into their exchange versus like, that's just, you know, most likely that's just their, you know, chain analysis provider being like, oh, that's bad block. And um, versus like when you're doing internally, you're like, oh yeah, coin join, those are cool. Good job. You get, you know, we'll give you a bonus because you're cool now. You can know, use whatever you want. So um, that is like a, you know, not only are you not uh, just you know, feeding the honey pap, but you're also letting yourself control like exactly what you want to do so you don't have to you know if someone decides coin join is bad you don't have to just immediately start blocking those you can decide on your own and stuff of course and so in terms of the hopes then for stopping the chain analysis and the elliptics of the world what are the big ideas in your mind i think one idea i can see is this idea of trying to stop the common input ownership heuristic or undermine it in a way where, as an example, if we did a lot of lightning channel collaborative opens, channel opens, then that helps undermine that heuristic, which is a key heuristic that they rely on. So that's one idea. Uh, but I'm curious, what's really going to move the needle here in terms of actually obsoleting them or making them less relevant? Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, these chain analysis companies, they have two inputs. One is the actual blockchain and the other is you know the KYC exchange. So like, you know, if you stop using them for your KYC exchange, you block off one input. So now we have to worry about the other input, which is a blockchain. And um, yeah, so like things like you're mentioning, like, you know, this common input heuristic where, you know, if when you have a transaction, it has multiple inputs in it. Chain analysis firms generally just assume that every input is owned by the same person because, you know, 99% of the chance um, that's going to be true. So it's a good way to do that. So if you mix, if you like, if me and you are doing a transaction, if both of our inputs are in there. Now they're going to think that, you know, both of those are my inputs or both of those are your inputs. They're actually both of ours. Now our wallet histories get um, clustered together in their, in their like data set. So now, you know, it gets harder to actually dictate what's happening. So that, that improves things a lot. And typically the kind of way you do this is either like a coin join, but that's very explicit. So they kind of know to exclude those, but they just know like, 
oh, after a coin join, it's kind of gone. We have to create a new wallet history. But um, other like sneakier ways are things like pay join, where you're actually able to hide um, the actual payment amount and the you know the inputs that are in there of who owns what because you're adding in um, the receiver's input. So you can um, do all these fancy techniques to hide that, as well as things like coin swap, where you can um, instead of like you're not breaking this common input heuristic by having um, a transaction with two inputs, but you actually just have two transactions where you, you and say like me and you would swap um, both like the same amount UTXO. So like, you know, I start with UTXO A, you start with UTXO B. At the end, I have UTX, UTXO B and you have UTXO A. So that way, you know, we basically just swap histories and no one can tell that we did that because, you know, they never in the same transaction. So that's, uh, you know, other ways to do that. But, um, you know, it's all kind of, uh, you know, they're all just incremental steps you're trying to get better. Because there are, you know, if you do all this and then you just go and deposit into Coinbase, well, now they see, okay, like, okay, that last address was his. So you're always at something you're always keeping up with and trying to improve. And, um, you know, technology is always improving this as well. Like before, you know, before Taproot, um, if we knew we're doing coin swaps, then you deposited it into a multi-sig and I kept it on a single sig. It'd be obvious. It'd be like, okay, Stefan's a multi-sig user. I think he just went to his wallet and, you know, it'd be obvious that you did that. Versus now with Taproot, we can hide that you're actually using multi-sig. So these would look the same. And, um, you know, not just multi-sig, but things like you know, things like Liquid or even like Lightning, all these different things can all look the same now. So it makes it even um, harder to do all these uh, heuristics. Back to the show in a moment. So we're in a bear market. But as they say in bear markets, these are the times for builders. And if you are a builder in Bitcoin and Lightning, check out Voltage. Voltage are the leading enterprise-grade Lightning solution for Bitcoin builders. You can integrate Lightning really quickly and easily. They make it hassle-free for any organization to integrate or build on Lightning. Now, this could be working for you whether you are starting up a Bitcoin startup or whether you are just a regular person who wants to set up and take payment and be a merchant. You can set up your BTC Pay, you can set up your Bitcoin node, or you can set up your LND Lightning node with Voltage, and they make it super fast. It's really slick and easy. Just go and visit the website. You'll be up and running in two minutes. It's voltage.cloud. And with all the events at exchanges and lending platforms over the past few weeks, this has been an important reminder to us all about how important it is to take control of our Bitcoin keys. Now, whether this is for yourself or somebody you know who's been leaving their coins on the platforms, Holding your Bitcoin with somebody else puts you at risk. Those Bitcoin could be caught in someone else's insolvency. This is where Unchained Capital can help you. Unchained offers concierge onboarding. This is a personalized service to guide you through setting up cold storage and withdrawing from an exchange to keys that you control. They ship you the hardware, they walk you through a setup over a video call, and they help you with withdrawal. Then Unchained also provides you with some regular ongoing support to help get you comfortable with controlling your own keys. So if you've been putting it off, this is a great time to get started and get it done sooner than later. Book your onboarding today. It's unchanged.com slash concierge and use the code Levera for a discount. And now back to the show. Of course. And so what you're referring to there is this new output type, Taproot. And so, you know, just like how we went through historically, we went, we upgraded to the native SegWit uh, addresses. Now we've got these Taproot addresses. Now, I suppose one criticism that could be leveled at us here is Taproot's Anon set right now is very small because there's not that many users of Taproot. Now, I know, for example, BTC Pay Service Wallet supports Taproot. I know uh, Moon Wallet. I think they are actually using Taproot in the background. Um, but in terms of Taproot Lightning channels, that's not really uh, here yet, although I believe that's coming soon. Uh, but I'm curious your view on that about growing the Taproot anonymity set. Yeah, yeah. It's we do, like, yeah, there's a couple wallets using it. LND just released it for their on chain wallet, but not for Lightning channels. I think so. I was told by like end of fall ish that they'll have it. So hopefully like soon ish. But um, it is something that like you know if you're a Taproot user today, you're like one of like you know maybe ten thousand people. So you're not you know you're, you're reducing your anonymity set. But I think um, just like building tools on top of this and getting people ready to support because like a lot of um wallets don't even support sending the Taproot addresses and stuff yet. So we just kind of need to do this incremental process and. Um, it was nice with SegWit because um, when we switched over to there, there was an economic incentive where you would have cheaper transactions when you switched to SegWit. So then you could, um, so that, you know, naturally a lot of people moved over just to save money. But now with Taproot, it's more of a privacy saving thing than a um, fee saving thing. Like you're maybe saving a couple bytes, but like, you know, it's, you're not going to be saving like 30% or whatever you would with SegWit. But um, there is like kind of a, a push towards that because, um, 
lots of people are like saying, you know, like luckily, like kind of the Bitcoin kind of uh, initial use case is now moving moving towards like a Lightning wallet than an on-chain wallet. I, I like I feel like most people get on board onto something like a Moon or a, you know just a traditional Lightning wallet. So in that regard, since um, Lightning is much better when we have Taproot um, everywhere, all these um, Lightning wallets are moving towards uh, a Taproot first uh, look. So that's going to help a lot. So maybe you know. Bitcoiner that got in in 2013 that has its cold storage, um, you know, buried in Argentina. He's not going to upgrade the Taproot, but you know, all the new users coming in are going to upgrade the Taproot just because that's what their wallet supports and uh, is the default now. So I think that will be a big help. Yeah, and actually on this now again, this may be triggering to some listeners, and I'm not saying I like this reality, but this is perhaps the reality that we have to acknowledge. I've seen some interesting statistics from Sergey Kotliar of BitRefill. And he, he speaks about, and it's an interesting framework, it's this idea of Bitcoin the tool and Bitcoin the movement. And so obviously people like you and me and even Sergey are arguably part of the Bitcoin movement. We go to Bitcoin conferences, we speak, we talk to our friends there and so on. But then there are these users who are not necessarily ideological about it, right? And by ideological, I mean, broadly speaking, cypherpunk or libertarian-ish. Whereas there are a lot of people who use Bitcoin without having any ideology about it. So, for example, he makes the analogy, which is a good one, of BitTorrent. There are lots of BitTorrent users who are not ideological about it. They wouldn't go to a BitTorrent conference. They wouldn't call themselves part of the BitTorrent movement, let's say. And so, just by the numbers, if you look at the stats on BitRefill, he, he points out that actually a lot of the users are actually using things like Exodus wallet, which is like a shitcoin wallet. Or they're using uh, blockchain.info, right? So, it's kind of funny because we have this ecosystem where in our Bitcoin world, we're always promoting, you know, Bitcoin only and things like this. But objectively, out there in the real world, there are a lot of users being onboarded by basically shitcoin exchanges. And so this is, I guess, this is a reality we have to grapple with, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's a hard problem. Like, it was funny. Uh, Blockchain.com, their wallet switched to, like, Segwit, like, four years later, like, a couple months before Taproot activated. And you, like, saw the, the chart in the graph just, like, go straight up, like... And uh, we, at Austin Bit does, we made a ton of fun of it. It was like, well, in four years, we'll get to talk about when they add Taproot because uh, <laughs> you know, they'll do that. But, um, you know, luckily there is like, you know, um, at least like, you know, a lot of new users are being pushed onto these like non-shitcoin wallets, it seems, but they still have like a huge dominance. So like, I don't know, I mean, luckily some of these are open source. You can go and make the PR yourself, but, uh, you know, if it's good merged, who knows? But yeah. Yeah, of course. And so I think that's perhaps a little bit of cold water. But of course, we as a community can do what we can to advocate for obviously what we see as the leading wallets and Bitcoin companies that people, new people should be going and onboarding with. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that not everybody is, especially the new people coming in at the top of that funnel, they're not going to be as ideologically committed or aligned as say we are. But nevertheless, there are possibilities for privacy and security to improve in the background, right, by default, where if this technology comes out and it eventually makes its way into the mainstream applications, and some of that happens by support from the more hardcore members of the community, the developers and the advocates and the educators out there. So I think it's not totally without hope, but it's just a recognition that it takes time to change things, right? And even on the question of SegWit, there, it depends on how we count it as well. So as I understand, if you count it basically, if you count transactions based on if they have any SegWit whatsoever on any of the inputs, that number is something like 70 or 80%. But if we count it based on every output being SegWit, that number is more like 20 or 20% or 20 or 30%. So it's actually a lot lower, even for SegWit, which came out in August 2017, right? And here we are in June 2022, and we're still trying to get adoption of SegWit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, getting people to change things, especially with their money, is always an extremely hard problem. So, uh, you know, I am hopeful. And, like, luckily, like, uh, all these things add, like, new functionality. Like, you know, without SegWit, we couldn't have Lightning. So any user that wants to use Lightning will have to, they'll be forced to use SegWit. And, you know, with Taproot, it'll enable other things. Most likely, like, uh, Lightning will go to, like, a Taproot-only thing eventually. So, you know, eventually, you know, if a user wants to use Bitcoin, they'll have to use these kind of features, it seems. So... Um, you know, it's it's not all hope is lost, but uh, you know, in the meantime, we're all like just screaming at our computers, like, why won't you implement Taproot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah, that's the campaign is to is to shout when Taproot, um, but exactly. or when Lightning as well. So I think, and in fairness, that we are seeing Lightning adoption in terms of exchanges. We are seeing large exchanges who are supporting that, and so over time, that's more and more 
millions of customers who can use Lightning. And so it'll take time, but I, I see those network effects as growing. But it is perhaps some cold water that we have to face when we see statistics today in terms of who's spending today and how much Lightning use is today versus Bitcoin on chain today, even for small values, which we would presumably say, hang on, for that kind of value, you'd be better off using Lightning. Well, maybe that person is coming from a wallet that doesn't have Lightning, things like that. But nevertheless, let's talk a little bit about some of the ideas you have around Lightning privacy. I know you have this LN Vortex. So do you want to tell us what's LN Vortex? Yeah, LN Vortex is a prob- uh, project I've been working on for about a year now. Um, basically, the idea is like, you know, today, like there's a couple of coin join solutions like Samurai Wasabi and Join Market, but all of these are mostly just like you spend to yourself. So like, you know, you create a transaction that just spends your own wallet and then, but you have more privacy at the end. So you're willing to pay for that. But um, when you want to con- combine that with Lightning, the, like the typical flow is like, mix to yourself a few times and then send it to your like LND or C Lightning wallet and then open a channel. So you have this extra step and you know, it's very obvious you're doing that. So um, that kind of sucks. And uh, so the idea is be able to like kind of merge these two things where you're coin joining to yourself. And then when you want to open a channel, you just do that in the same coin join where you just, um, instead of like the output being yourself, it's now a lightning channel. And um, a couple of things needed to happen for us to do this. The biggest, like we've been saying, is Taproot, where these uh, on-chain transactions are to yourself are most likely going to be like a, you know, just a self-spend. And um, without Taproot, a self-spend, like your own personal wallet and the uh, lightning channel are very distinct. You can, you know, immediately tell like which is which, or at least that they're different. So you would be able to tell in the, in the coin join, it would reduce the anonymity set and um, wouldn't really work. But with Taproot, we can combine these two um, so they could just look exactly the same. And um, a great thing about Lightning Nodes is there's something that it's just something that you kind of just always need on. So, you know, like I have a laptop sitting under my bed behind me that's just running a Lightning Node all day. And um, it'd be great if this thing was just coin joining all day as well because, you know, I got coins I want to mix. So kind of the idea is like, well, we have like all these nodes that are running all day. Why don't, why aren't they always coin joining? And then when, when they want to open the Lightning Channel, let's do that um, in a coin join as well. Just kind of give yourself a holistic approach of uh your on-chain balance where you're almost making, you know, if you're a lightning first user, almost every on-chain transaction you're doing is now a coin join. So I've been working on that for about a year now. So like what this current state of it is like, um, it kind of is using two separate mixes right now where um, for one, it's a, you have like your mix to yourself. And then after you do that, you can open a channel, but once LND releases or any uh, implementation releases, the, um, the, you know, taproot channels, then we'll just combine them both and you'll be able to, open a channel and um, kind of the a hard part about it was, you know, you can't really implement this into like Samurai or Join Market or um, Wasabi today because you need to change the protocol a little bit where, um, so today, like if say you're doing a Samurai mix, what you do is you register your inputs and a blinded output and then you just wait for the mix to happen. So that could be in 10 seconds, that could be in six days. So you, you're just kind of waiting and um, to, to have that output, you need to know where you're sending the money for this coin join. So you have to say like, okay, I would like to mix to an, to this address, but you're, you know, you're hiding the address in that initial message, but you still need to know that address. And um, in, in lightning, when I want to open a channel to you, I need to send money to that, to that address in the next 10 minutes. So, um, you know, it doesn't really totally work with this, like gotcha. asynchronous yeah. flow in um, current coin joins. So it, Vortex is custom made for this, where you just, you do a um, slightly tweaked flow where you register your, um, thing right before you mix so that way you can uh, you can open that channel and um, it, it's it's uh, you know it's not like totally released yet it works in tests me and uh, my friend Dregs he's a front end dev at the Bitcoin company he works on uh, Zeus and stuff as well he's been helping me build the front end and we're like about to do our first like um, test net one but you know it is coming along um, once uh, we're probably going to release it hopefully soon and have like it on like Umbral and all that but um, the idea is really just, you know, let's get everyone coin joining because, like, you know, it seems like everyone and their mother has an umbral node running in their closet now. So, like, why not have those funds coin joining? And, um, you know, it's, and then, and this is another, it's another incentive to get people on the taproot where, you know, now, you know, someone might be like, oh, I don't care about taproot. That's too much at work to upgrade. When you're like, oh, hey, you can coin join all your funds and get more privacy. If, you know, people are like, oh, I, I, could, be, I could do that. So that's kind of the, the hope. And um, as well as with that, it will most likely be the first taproot um, 
Bitcoin join coordinator. So that'd be cool to have as well. Where, you know, because today if you want to use Taproot, but you're like, oh, I need to coin join my funds, you have nowhere really to go. So you could like, you know, let's go into Samurai, Mix, and then send to Taproot. Like we talked about earlier, you're now reducing your anonymity set by uh, revealing that you're going to Taproot. So, you know, you're leaving the, the hurt. So it's not a, you know, total holistic approach anymore. So um, hopefully with this, you know, you could have like your Taproot users just only use this. And um, it's, it's built in a way where it works with like lots of different types of wallets. So um, natively, it supports um, LND, C Lightning, and Bitcoin Core. So, um, you know, Bitcoin Core doesn't have Lightning support, but you can still just mix to yourself in your own Taproot wallet um, if you'd like to do that. I'm going to work on adding Sensei support soon, but um, I got to, Sensei needs a little more work to, to get fully worked out, but uh, it is possible. So that'll be hopefully soon as well. Okay, great. So can we walk through the flow then in this example? So let's say in the near future, this is available as an application that people can install on their package node, like Umbral and, and so on, like like Raspberry Blitz and all the others. What would the flow look like in this case? Are they Is the user going to withdraw from the exchange into their LN Vortex wallet? And then the wallet is just going to do these taproot coin joins in the background. Is that roughly what you're thinking? Or what's the flow look like? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. So it doesn't have its own wallet. It just uses like your Lightning Node wallets, like actual own on-chain wallet. So and, you know, it's nice. I didn't have to actually code that myself. It's just like LND or Core Lightning just handles that for you. So it is, you know, if you have funds on there, you can use it today. And then, um, yeah, you would just like open up the Vortex app and just hit like, you know, I want to, you know, be mixing or I want to open a channel. And so kind of the what we're thinking is like, you know, you'll probably just download it initially and then just click the Mix My Funds button. And then those funds will just always be mixing. And then, and say like a week later, you know, Stefan, you're like, I need some inbound and I'm going to be selling some hats. Can you open a channel to me? I'm like, sure. So I'll go into Vortex, type in, you know, type in your pub key and say, and then hit open channel. And then, you know, the next round, I'll open a channel straight to you in a coin join. Gotcha. Okay. And so is the idea then that you're just kind of plugging into the wallets that are already existing, as you were saying. And so then, the users are having this coin join operating. And so I guess the other question as well is who's running the coordinator? Are you going to run a coordinator for this or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So it has to be its own coordinator. So I can't use like Wasabi or Samurai, any of those, cause it ha- does have this slightly altered protocol. So um, I do have like a pleb friend that offered to run it. So they're going to be um, running it. I'm not going to say who, but uh, yeah. So, you know, we'll have uh, its own coordinator running and that'll, um, you know, you'll, it'll just talk to that and, you know, It'll have its, you know, we'll have multiple coordinators for like different um, output amounts and everything like that. But uh, yeah. So you might have different pools as pool sizes, as an example, that you might have like 0.1 or 0.5 or the baller pool, one Bitcoin pool or whatever. Um, and so then you are just mixing your coins with other people in that same denomination, let's say, in that pool. And so then the idea is you open off of that, your either your LND or your C Lightning can open a channel out of that and then just spend normally like you would with any Lightning wallet. Like let's say you have Zeus connected to that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you would like, you know, have your umbrella just mixing, you open your channel and then, you know, you go to you know, Starbucks and, you know, scan an invoice and just pay from now a mixed uh, channel. So you get the, you know, this extra added privacy because um, in Lightning, like it's generally very private in most regards, like on the actual Lightning layer, but on the uh, actual, like, you know, Lightning requires a Bitcoin layer under it. And, you know, that is, you know, as we know, fully, uh, you know, it's, you can read the whole blockchain. So you need to hide these kind of UTXOs. You can do that once it's not announcing the channel, but still it, uh, you know, people can find it like uh, what Tony Giorgio has been working on. But, you know, if you're, or if you're a routing node, you still want to protect your on-chain funds. This is another way to do it where you could, you know, hide this. And, uh, you know, you now you're just like, oh, this one, this is a Vortex user, but I don't know what their, you know, on-chain wallet looks like. Got it. And so, yeah, it sounds promising. And it's definitely a step in the right direction of helping people have privacy through the entire flow, because it's not just kind of like a one-off thing. It's like you coin join and then you open a channel and then now you're doing lightning channels which those transactions don't touch the chain per se now of course in lightning there's still improvement work required on that side too and of course there was uh the recent lightning summit i think that was maybe a month or two ago um so listeners you can check out bitcoin ops uh, optech newsletter 204 there's a summary there of lightning developer meeting and so there's things there like gossip network updates or trying to 
potentially change some of the aspects about how Lightning shares balances and things like this. So these are some of the ideas coming that will help bring privacy to Lightning because today Lightning is not super private, but it's kind of a complicated question where maybe you, the receiver, sorry, the sender is getting a little bit more privacy than they do today on chain, just naively spending on chain. But there are some of these other aspects where let's say the channels uh, have this aspect, what's it called, the short channel ID, where that's kind of pointing mm-hmm. to the output of that channel on-chain, whereas maybe in the future that could be changed with, let's say, gossip updates, right? Yeah, yeah. So they actually just changed that, the uh, the channel ID thing. So now for unannounced channels, you can just have it be a random value. So you can you don't actually have to, like, dox it to people or, like, you know, they can probe it out of you and stuff. So that does help. But, um, you know, it's not a totally, you know, like, that doesn't solve everything. Like, like you said, it is slightly better than on-chain where, you know, like, on-chain is being stored forever. So that you know is obviously not good. Versus with a lightning payment, um, if if they don't catch it in time, that whoever's trying to track you, they missed it. So you do have you do have that benefit. But um, yeah, th- there is lots of problems where you know you are requiring this you know lower Bitcoin layer. So everyone knows these uh or can know these UTXOs that are that are using to like route these payments as well as um you know you have these static pub keys which are like kind of identities on Lightning. So people tie different um, flows to that, and there are these things like probing where you can kind of almost fish out balances of things or, you know, the tax payments going on. So um, there are lots of uh, things coming. Like you said, um, there was that summit. They talked about different things. Um, One of the like kind of bigger things that um, I think will be big is things like um, trampoline routing and um, blinded paths. Um, They're both like by themselves, like powerful, but together they're like extremely powerful. Um, What trampoline lets you do is just kind of say like, you don't tell someone like this is like, how to get to me, you say like, oh, I have a friend, Stefan, you can pay him and he'll pay the rest to me. And so um, what that lets you do is just kind of say like, you don't have to totally gossip like how all of your private channels do you want to receive through or anything like that. You just say like, get it to him and he knows how to get to me. So that kind of like, you know, you get a, a barrier there and you can actually use multiple trampolines. So you could say like, oh, Stefan knows how to get to me. And then they're like, well, how do I get to Stefan? You're like, oh, well, Marty knows how to get to Stefan and then, you know, um, Satoshi knows how to get to Marty. You can do this whole thing. So you just have these like layers of, um, you know, obscurity and as well, you can layer in these um, blinded paths where instead of saying like, I don't know, cause you, you know, Stefan, you, you need to know how to get to me at that. But instead of like giving you the full route, I could say like, go to this guy and then he'll have a encrypted version of how to get to the next guy and an encrypted version of how to get to the next guy. So the, you know, it's just this, um, you know, Easily doing that, you kind of just completely hide the the way you're trying to pay me, and um, it, it gets really powerful. But um, you know, there's lots of spec work and things actually need, need to be done to get these implemented, and you know, in in the wild for everyone's using them. But it is possible, so that it's helping. That will hopefully help a lot. But um, you know, we'll, we'll remain to see when it's going to happen. Yeah, of course. I mean, it does sound like it's promising there, and it's. I think it's also fair to point out that even today, if a user wants let's say just privacy from the merchant even today if they use a lightning wallet like you know these moon phoenix breeze these kinds of ones where you make a lightning payment to the merchant now yes moon phoenix or breeze might be able to surveil you but at least the merchant doesn't know your balance they don't know your transaction history they just get paid on the lightning network so at least there's there's something there right like so i I think people tend to be very binary and all or nothing and say no unless you're james bond Edward Snowden level private, you're not private. And it's like, well, who are you trying to be private from? And how much privacy do you really need? Uh, is the average person who just wants to be able to, as an example, let's say they just want to make a donation to, let's say, a particular protest. If you used one of those wallets and you used like that swap functionality that's inbuilt, I, aren't you arguably getting a little bit of privacy that way? Now, I guess people, now I guess the counter argument would be, well, hang on. The authorities could just go to Moon and say, "Hey, give me all the, give me all your data." So at that point, maybe you're in trouble. But you know, in terms of how much work are they going to do, it might be at least a, you know, a little bit of something that's more private. So I don't know. There's just a yeah. few thoughts. I'm curious if you have any. Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah, like um, say like you know they go to Moon, like give me all your data. Well, it's like well, Moon wasn't the only one wallet sending to that merchant or you know whatever malicious actor they determined. So you know, they can only get a small portion of the pie versus like. Like we saw with uh, the Canadian truckers, they were like, do not send to this address where, you know, you couldn't really do that with Lightning. You could be like, you know, don't send to this node pub key, but you just you just change your node pub key with um, something like TransLND or something. And 
you can uh, now just say like, oh, sorry, it's a new one every time. I don't know what to do here. So, um, and then as well, like things like, uh, you know, when I pay to a merchant, you know, they have my on-chain UTXOs. You can go back and look and see like, oh, do this little chain analysis and kind of sometimes you can figure out like, oh, this person sent this from a 15 Bitcoin UTXO. They have 15 Bitcoin, you know, maybe I'm going to go follow them home. Um, and steal that from them. But with, with Lightning, it's like, you know, they only know the last hop. So most likely um, it's not even your hop. So, you know, you get a lot more privacy. So, you know, if you're transacting with someone you don't fully trust, to, to, you know, to not follow you home or whatever, you'll uh, you'll be protected in that regard, which is um, a, a huge improvement over the current Bitcoin today. Yeah. Let's chat about Austin BitDevs. So you're one of the co-organizers for that. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening in Austin's Bitcoin scene? Yeah, I mean, Austin, it's, it's been blown up. So I guess a little bit of history. I moved here beginning of 2020. And I, one of the reason, reasons I moved here was because of the Bitcoin scene was big. And that's when our meetup was 20 people um, on a good day. And um, today we get about like 250 people when it's a bull market. Now it's a bear market. We get like 50. But um, <laughs> but it's still a really good meetup here. And um, honestly, like I think, uh, you know, for other people who try to try to run meetups, the, the biggest thing I think for us was consistency where every third Thursday at 7 p.m. we're at Unchained and we're talking Bitcoin. And um, that helps a lot. You know, like uh, during COVID, almost every meetup shut down, but um, we, we only shut down for six months and, you know, we kept it consistent ever since then. In September, that'll be, it'll be two years from us for consistency. So that'll be, uh, I think that's like kind of something to hang your head on. And um, I think we're really proud of that. So yeah, it's a it's a great scene out here. We have like the whole Unchained folks. They have their huge office now, and um, they have the Commons as well, which is a great space to work at. Um, like me and a couple other people work in there like every day, and you know like it's it's really um, kind of beautiful because you know before I just like work at home or like you know see Bitcoiners like you know when we go out for drinks maybe that night, but like now it's like I'm working right next to them all day, so it's like you know you're you're coding and you're like hey what if what if someone did this and then, you know, you all start just bouncing ideas. Next thing you know, you're on a whiteboard, like drawing like state diagrams or something. And, you know, you, uh, it, you get a lot more collaboration. So it, Austin's really bred a kind of a beautiful Bitcoin scene. And, um, yeah, I, I recommend like, um, you know, every third Thursday we're having a meetup. So if you want to come out, I, I recommend people to, 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 uh, come check it out. Yeah. And for people who aren't familiar with BitDevs and what to expect, what sort of stuff, what goes into uh, organizing a BitDevs specifically uh, in terms of pulling together the resources and, you know, the content to discuss? Yeah. Yeah. So BitDevs isn't just like a hangout. We talk about Bitcoin. It's supposed to be a Socratic seminar. So the idea is like, you know, Chatham House rules, no, no names here. We're just going to talk about Bitcoin and ideas, no people. And, you know, don't attribute this to, like, you know, Ben said this. Let's just say, like, you know, someone has this cool idea of BitDevs. And uh, we're, we're doing um, all things, you know, it's BitDevs, so development, we're all talking tech. So um, normally it's, like, me, Buck, and uh, Justin. We kind of get a list of topics that we accumulate through the month. Mostly I just either reading the mailing list, Twitter, or, like, Optech, or the, even the other meetups as well. We steal from them all the time. And, uh, you know, once we have, like, our list of, like, maybe, like, 50 topics, we... The idea is to kind of we just like present it and maybe give a brief overview like oh this is um you know lightning labs released this idea taro and then we'll talk about it and then you know someone from the audience um because really the idea is to draw the the knowledge from the audience you know we'll be like oh this taro thing happens and you know ryan gentry you know biz dev at uh, lightning labs will come up and be like oh yeah I'll, you know give a huge explanation on this and then we'll talk about you know, uh, you know, lighting privacy and Tony Giorgio will come talk about it. And, you know, so, um, you know, we, we're really, really just trying to just draw this ideas from the crowd as well as, you know, kind of hash things out. There's a lot of times where like, you know, me, Justin and Buck are like learning about this topic like two hours before the meetup. And we're like, I think it works this way. And then we'll just like basically like kind of work with the audience and understand it together like live. So it's a lot of fun in that regard. And, um, you know, it does take a fair amount of work, but, um, you know, it's definitely worth it. And um, I think like, I get all the time people telling me like, you know, I'm not a developer at all. I, and, or they even just like just got into Bitcoin. They're like, this was so cool. Like I didn't understand any of it, but I know I, sh- I can eventually. And, um, or other people like, Oh, the people, you know, that have been coming for years be like, they'll like challenge me now. They're like, you know, Oh, actually, why don't you do it like that? I'm like, Oh shit. Like you're not even a dev and you can, you, you can, you know, pull all this stuff off. So it, it's really good me to come to. And, um, and it, it's great to bring like new people to as well. Cause um, you know, like 
I remember like talking to some of like, my high school friends, they're like, like, oh, I do Bitcoin development. And they're like, isn't it already developed? What do you, what do you do all day? And it's like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so like, you know, coming there and they're like, oh shit, it's like a real thing that like, you know, it's not just like, you know, we're, you know, buying Dogecoin, going to the moon. It's like deep research on like, you know, things that, you know, we're saying big words that n- normal people don't know. And, you know, we know all of them, sadly. But yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't been, any <laughs> listeners, if you haven't been to a Socratic seminar or a BitDevs, I highly recommend you go. It's well worth your time if there's one in your area. There are some that are run online as well. But going to the ones in person is really worthwhile if you can. You tend to learn a lot. And there might be all these words at the start that you don't quite grasp but they're very much worthwhile. I've been to, obviously, I've been to some of the bit devs in Austin during bull season. And I, I guess <laughs> in the bull season, when there's 200 people in the room or 250 people in the room, it tends to be more like a kind of a lecture from yourself or from Buck or from you know whoever's explaining because there's not as much chance for back and forth discussion. Uh, but when, you know during bear time and sideways market, you do get more discussion time. And that is a bit more interactive and perhaps you might even learn a bit more that way as well um, but well worthwhile for people so definitely check it out and go if you if you don't have one in your local area i suggest starting one it's uh, a good way you know if you have at least a few technical friends or one or two you can get it started and get it going that way bitcoin is a community thing so we want to try to grow the community so bitcoin meetups are a great way of doing that and uh yeah. i want to say too uh like if you're looking to start a meetup in your place, like like a lot of people say, like because you know Austin and like New York and a couple other places have had wild success doing a bit devs, but like that works here because we have a lot of developers here and a lot of you know like talent and all these people that are well informed on the ideas. But, like if you're you know if you live in like rural Kansas and you have no developers, like don't start a bit dev, start like you know something that fits your audience and your hosts. So you know here we're doing well because you know we we're good at facilitating it. But if you're in you know, if, if you're not a developer or, you know, you, you don't have developers in your area that are willing to host it, well, then just start a normal meetup where you just, like, hang out and talk about Bitcoin because, um, you know, that's equally as fun. And, like, you know, in Austin, we have a similar, like, we have the Austin Bitcoin Club where, you know, they do exactly that. Where they, just, they just bring tacos and chicken and talk about Bitcoin. And that's, like, almost as big as the bit devs now. So, like, um, and it's a completely different crowd, too, which is super cool. So you can get all sorts of different types of people coming to your meetup based on what you actually discussed there. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think to the point around Bitcoin privacy as well, to the extent that we can grow the peer-to-peer market for Bitcoin, and that may be where you find people who you just want to trade Bitcoin with. If maybe you're a miner and you want to sell some coins to cover your expenses and somebody else there is a pleb and they just want to stack and they want to buy the coins off you, then that's kind of a common example. Or otherwise, what you can try to do is go to your local restaurants, bars and say, hey, we want to run the meetup. Can we help set you up to take Bitcoin payment? And then that's a chance for local Bitcoiners to go and spend some sats and you know, start this whole uh, peer-to-peer aspect as well, which I think is going to be useful. So I think as a community, those of us who are really into Bitcoin, advocates, educators, builders, whatever you are in the Bitcoin world, that that's something you could look at as well. Yeah, yeah, a million percent echo that. Yeah, in Austin, we're not we're not doing the best job of getting you know every business on Bitcoin, but we got a couple bars and food trucks, which is cool. Hey, it's a start, so it right? It's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, start with something. Rough zero. Yeah, and so um, with uh, the Bitcoin company, so tell us a little bit about that. So you guys are selling vouchers, and what else is coming from the Bitcoin company? Just for SLP listeners who want to know. Yeah, yeah. The, it's kind of like today what we're doing is kind of like like letting people live on Bitcoin and basically paying paying you for it. So we're similar to like a folder bit refill right now where you can buy gift cards, but we also offer um, visa cards and international visa cards that you just pay with Bitcoin and we'll give you a little bit of sats back for those. Um, so yeah, like um, it's pretty cool right now. Like, you know, I think 75% of our sales or something are the international visa cards because we're getting like all these people who are just like, oh, I'm in Brazil and I love these things and they, you know, they're living on, living on their Bitcoin. And, um, and this is kind of another way where like in the beginning we were talking about, you know, this kyc free way to to buy bitcoin but like the bitcoin company we kind of solve the the kyc free way to sell it where you know we don't need to take your um you know your your id or you know a picture a selfie of you you just sign up with your email and you, you can buy these visa cards with your bitcoin which is you know most likely the, the way you're going to spend your bitcoin so you can essentially sell it kyc free with us and um, we actually pay you for it so you know it's kind of cool and um you know it's letting uh, users um, live on their bitcoin and but the, the the whole mission of us is basically just kind of be like the Bitcoin hub or Bitcoin super app. So um, something we're rolling out soon is like phone top ups as well as um, 
other ways you can like earn Bitcoin where things like you could link a credit card and like every swipe get Bitcoin back, eventually adding like an exchange and banking and all that stuff. So yeah, the, the holistic view is it's like eventually like, you know, delete like Wells Fargo, use the Bitcoin company where you can, you know, get your direct deposit, make a, you know, pay off your credit card and, you know, your checking account has a Bitcoin and a dollar balance. You know, you can, if you're, you know, if it's 6 p.m. on a Saturday and you want to pay off your credit card bill, you don't have to wait, you know, till, till Monday for the wire to go in. You can just send it in a Bitcoin payment and it'll pay off immediately. Kind of, you know, it's just like bring, you know, let's modernize banking with Bitcoin and just modernize everything with Bitcoin. And, you know, if you don't use the KYC free stuff or if you don't want to use KYC stuff, we have the KYC free stuff, which we offer today. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, if you want to go the full view, then sign up for that stuff. So we're trying to just like, serve as much people as we can sure yeah great um so we'll we'll leave it there then so listeners go and follow ben if you're not already following him on twitter so his twitter is at ben the carmen and the website ben the carmen.com uh ben thank you for joining me yeah thank you stefan get the show notes at stefan slash 391 thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels